You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual The Kim Davis Circus continues. I'm not sure I want to stay inside the tent. I did enjoy, however, Mika Brzezinski's grilling of Mike Huckabee last week on Morning Joe. Think Progress wrote it up. That's where I saw it. But I enjoyed watching Mika ask this of Mike Demagogue Huckabee. Would you support a clerk? Remember, Kim Davis is the county clerk who's denying marriage licenses to same-sex couples because Jesus and the Bible, blah, blah religious freedom, blah, blah. So no marriage license for you. Would you support a clerk who would not give Kim Davis a third or fourth marriage license? Mika demanded to know. Because of course the Bible, as Joe Scarborough pointed out to Mike Huckabee, condemns divorce. Jesus Christ himself condemns divorce. Mike Huckabee refused to answer the question, tried to define it away, said it was irrelevant because Kim Davis's third and fourth marriage, adulterous though they may be, condemned by Jesus Christ though they are, between a man and a woman. So get out of biblical judgment-free card for Kim Davis and all of her many and varied spouses and marriages. Brzezinski and Scarborough wouldn't drop it though and kept going back to it. And it was just – it was nice to see it dawning on straight people as I believe it is that the same rule of law that protects the rights of gay people – That also protects the rights of straight people, protects the rights of straight people to get out of their first marriages, which is a right straight people had to fight for, just as the rule of law protects the right of straight people to their second, third, and fourth marriages, or as I'm calling fourth marriages now, the full Kim Davis. But I don't want to talk about Kim Davis. I'm actually really fucking sick of the Kim Davis circus, even though it's all unfolding exactly as I predicted it would. People are now raising money for Kim Davis. Once she loses her job, she will never have to work again. And I guess that's a good thing. We should create retirement plans for all malicious Christian bigots out there. We're winning, of course, the fight against this kind of religious bigotry. And Kim Davis isn't actually harming anyone, truly, in the long run, except for her own faith, because the continued efforts of religious bigots like Mike Huckabee and Kim Davis to make Christianity and homophobia synonymous is bad for Christianity increasingly. It used to just be bad for gay people when Christians were right-wing psychotic bigots, but now it's backfiring on Christianity itself. That's a problem for Christians. Christians are going to have to figure that out and work on it. And tolerant, loving, supportive, affirming Christians are going to have to figure out a way to steal their God back from these bigots who believe that their God is a bigot like them or that bigotry is the ultimate expression of Christian love. So Davis really can't hurt anybody. But we're all talking about Davis. I'd like to talk for a minute about the kind of bigotry, the kind of attitudes that Davis holds when they are in a place where someone can really do damage to a gay person. Those gay couples that Davis has maligned and insulted and stigmatized, they are going to get their marriage licenses in the end. They could have gotten them right away. They could have driven to one county over and gotten their marriage licenses. I'm glad that they didn't. I'm glad that they pushed this case. I'm glad that they stood up for themselves. I'm glad they fought for their right to not be demeaned and denigrated like this. As citizens of Rowan County, they should not have been treated this way. And I'm not saying that they should have driven one county over, which is what Ann Coulter said. I'm saying good for them, but 
there was nothing preventing them from getting married all along, really. And I'm glad they fought this bigotry. I'm glad they fought against this discrimination. I want to talk about this kid that I met recently and gotten to know named Joel. I'm not going to use Joel's last name because Joel has asked me not to use his last name. Joel grew up in a really tiny town in Michigan. He was homeschooled by his fundamentalist Christian parents. When he was 12 years old, he told his parents that he thought he was gay. They packed him off to a counselor who would sit with him once a week. They would detail all the gay things he might have done that week or gay thoughts he might have had, and they would pray for him to become straight. It didn't work. Joel was always interested in dance, in a particular kind of dance, show dance, like Broadway dance, like tap dancing, show people dance, gypsy, Broadway, the great white way, that kind of dance, always interested in it. But his parents regarded, and his counselor, that kind of dance as a gay thing that Joel should avoid doing. So they refused to allow him to take dance classes, even though there was a dance studio in the tiny town where he was growing up, unless he paid for it himself, which he couldn't do when he was 13, 14 years old. But when he was 15 years old, he got a job and he paid for his own dance classes. And he was so talented that his teacher encouraged him at age 16, 17, to audition for the dance program at Oklahoma City University, which is actually a really prestigious uh, dance program. I, I was unfamiliar with it until I began to look into this story. But Broadway stars Christian Chenoweth, Kelly O'Hara, they're both graduates of OCU. Uh, I talked to some people on Broadway, some Broadway people I know, and they were familiar with OCU and told me it was an excellent school and hard to get into, really competitive, only really great dancers get into OCU. And this kid, Joel, had been accepted. So he went to his parents and told them that he was going to be living as an openly gay man, that he, has a, he had a boyfriend. And then he was going to OCU to go to college and he got a scholarship. And then his parents told him that he couldn't live at home if he was going to be gay, if he was going to have a boyfriend, if he was going to dance. And so he had to move out at 17, became homeless at 17. And then according to Joel and his supporters, some women in his town that he knew, including his dance teacher, they rallied people he stayed with. His parents stopped cooperating, stopped filling out forms tried to prevent their son from going to this dance program because Jesus, because Bible, because God. All the same reasons that Kim Davis cites for denying same-sex couples their right to marry, for denying them the marriage licenses to which they are legally and constitutionally entitled, Joel's parents moved to deny him this opportunity to go to this dance program, to study, to pursue his dreams, tried to thwart it. I found out about Joel because the women who were helping him out, taking care of him, created a GoFundMe page and someone sent me the link two months ago and I went there and read about this kid and I thought it was a scam because they didn't mention the town where all this happened. They didn't mention Joel's last name. They didn't mention the name of the dance instructor. They didn't name the particular Christian church that we were talking about. But I got in touch with the person who started the GoFundMe page. I got in touch with Joel. I got in touch with his supporters. I got in touch with Oklahoma City University. I verified everything. They raised the $6,500 that Joel needed to cover the gap between his scholarships and his work study and the rest of his tuition and expenses for his first semester with the GoFundMe page. And they did this despite the opposition of Joel's parents. While he was still a minor, at great risk to themselves, some of the women who were involved with basically rescuing Joel and helping him to pursue his dreams. So while all the attention in the world right now is on Kim Davis 
and her weaponized bigotry. This is really anti-gay Christian bigotry at its most damaging when it's weaponized by parents against their own children, which is what happened to Joel. And thank God, who doesn't exist, but thank God rhetorically for the women who've stepped up, some of whom are Christians, to help Joel out. And now I'm going to ask you to help Joel out. That GoFundMe page that was put up, it raised enough money, $6,500, to cover the gap between Joel's scholarships and the rest of his expenses for his first semester at OCU, which is a private Methodist school. And they need to raise another $6,500 to cover Joel's expenses for his second semester. Or he faces the prospect of having to leave OCU after one semester, having to return home without knowing where home is to either his parents or somewhere if he has to leave school at the end of this semester. This kid is really talented and he deserves better. There's a lot of us listening. I never ask anybody out there to make a donation if I haven't made one myself. Terry and I kicked in 500 bucks to help cover this kid's second semester expenses. If you can kick in five or 10, that would be great. And all of us together can help rescue this kid. We talk about the Duggar kids a lot, right? We all are sort of fantasizing about the gay Duggar when he comes out, that homeschooled Duggar kid. When they finally, one of them breaks from mom and dad and runs, we're going to help that kid. We're going to be there for that kid, right? Because one of the weapons that fundamentalist Christian parents use against their children is isolation, fear, helplessness. They can't make it on their own. They have no support system. And so when that Duggar breaks free, we're all ready to like help raise money for that Duggar who breaks free, right? We're all going to make sure that when one of those Duggar boys comes out and one of them's going to fraternal birth order effect, the more sons a woman has, the likelier she is to have gay sons. When a woman has a lot of sons, the likelier she is to have multiple gay sons. So there's a gay Duggar there in that bunch. And we're going to swing into action when he comes out and runs. This kid, Joel, kind of a gay Duggar. And why we're not using his last name and why his last name isn't on any of the information, the GoFundMe page, which is why I thought it was a scam, because his parents have forbidden him to use his last name because they accuse him of bringing shame on their family by being gay. These people are bringing shame on themselves by persecuting, by rejecting their gay kid. And we're going to drive that point home by supporting this gay kid, by helping him out by standing up for him when his own flesh and blood have not only failed him, but tried to destroy him. If you're mad about what Kim Davis has done, and I'm mad about what Kim Davis has done, here's one way to work through that rage. Help out this kid whose parents are essentially Kim Davis. GoFundMe.com slash Let's Help Joel, L-E-T-S-H-E-L-P-J-O-E-L, no apostrophe in let's. GoFundMe, Let's Help Joel. Before we let this go, talked about the way Kim Davis has weaponized her bigotry and her hatred and justified it by pointing to her faith. Again, nothing is more damaging than when a parent weaponizes their own bigotry, their faith, and attacks their own child. The rejection of his family has pained Joel very deeply. The love and support of the women who've rallied to Joel's side and now strangers rallying to Joel's side is helping to make up for it. So let's show this kid our love and support. Let's show him what his parents are incapable of showing him right now. Fingers crossed that his parents, like so many others, will come around one day by helping him out, by making sure that he stays in school 
where he belongs and one day gets to Broadway where he wants to be. GoFundMe.com slash Let's Help Joel. Coming up today on the Magnum, Bailey J, trans porn star and hilarious tweet star. And your questions, tons of them after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and your own printer. For a special offer, which includes a digital scale and up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, go to Stamps.com and enter SAVAGE. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code SAVAGE at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hey, Dan, this is Candace from Winnipeg. I don't know if I'll be able to say it all in three minutes, and you probably won't get back to me, but just to let you know, it's really sad when you find your soulmate and your soulmate's not ready for you. I've never felt like this before, where you've loved somebody so hard and you know you want to be with them and they're not ready yet. I am so lost. It is completely foolish. I have been single for quite a long time and have been pretty cynic with regards to love. And I met somebody about a month and a half ago and everything just seemed to fall into place. And it wasn't anything that either of us were doing. It was just, it was just the way it was. And the issue is is that he was already out of a relationship, long-term relationship that was not very good. And he told me that he um, was ready to move on. However, I had doubts because I know what it's like to get out of a long-term relationship and you have the emotions and the grieving process that you have to go through. But he kept on reassuring me that no, he was, he was done. It was done for months or for years. And then I guess they um, had to do some splitting of assets and they got to talking and not that he wants to return to her, but I guess all the emotions welled up and um, he just put a halt to having a relationship with me um, because he says it's not fair to continue something when he's, you know, all of a sudden, these emotions have come up. Oh, but it's still really hard because I really want to be with him. I've never felt like this before with somebody. <laughs> and it's so heart-wrenching. When people say, I've never felt this way before about a relationship that ended before they wanted it to end, especially when it ends after a month or a month and a half as this one caller did. The unspoken second half of that sentence is, or the fear, the second fearful half of that sentence is, I've never felt this way about anybody before, dot, dot, dot. And usually what's not said, but strongly implied and felt is I may never feel this way about anyone else again. And that's just shitty thinking that the lesson in I've never felt 
this way about anyone else before is not, and I will never feel this way about anybody else again. The lesson is never felt this way about anyone else before, but clearly I have this capacity to feel this about someone and that I felt it about this person that a month in, a month and a half in, I really didn't know that well, that I've invested this person with with, this, with these hopes, with these dreams, with these expectations that were then thwarted because the relationship was terminated early. The lesson there isn't I can never do that again. The lesson there is I did that and I can do that again. The lesson is you have this capacity to love, to form this bond, to feel this way, that those feelings are in you. And that a person, not just this person, but a person can bring those feelings out. Right? So if this guy doesn't circle back to you, in a few months time as he licks his wounds from the end of this previous relationship, if that is legitimately the reason why he ended it with you right now and not just an excuse to end it, not just a white lie, but if that is legitimately the reason and he fucks off for a few months and then calls you back and wants to pick up where you left off, you can pick up where you left off with him. In the interim, you have to assume you're never going to hear from him again. And put yourself out there and meet other people confident in the knowledge that you have this capacity to form this sort of bond, to feel these feelings, to become attached to someone, to love someone. That is the takeaway here. Not that he was your soulmate. He was not your fucking soulmate. You have no fucking soulmate. You know who your soulmate is? You. You are your soulmate. We are each of us alone, individually, our only fucking soulmates. That is an artificial, idealized notion of what partnership is. You do not merge with someone. You do not share a soul. That is an ooey-gooey, valentine compliment that you give someone. It's a rounding up. I'm rounding you up to soulmate, which is this idea, this ideal that every one in every relationship falls far short of. But I am going to call you that as an honorific and treat you that way so that it so, so that our bond is strengthened by that lie we're telling each other about what we mean to each other because we mean something to each other but words fail us and when it comes to talking about relationships we're not allowed to say i mostly kind of feel really good about you most of the time which is the best you can do really that's love like most of the time i don't want to kill you most of the time it's fun to be with you most of the time i enjoy being with you some of the time i fucking want to kill you Please listen to the more you love someone, the more you want to kill them from Avenue Q. Everything you need to know about human relationships, you can learn listening to musical theater. It's a great song. And it really captures what love and affection is like in a long-term relationship. And it doesn't feel like souls that have merged. It feels like weasels locked together in a box some of the time. So there is no soulmate. There is no the one. There is the point six four that you round the fuck up to one, which is an act of will and self-delusion and a compliment and a favor that you do for someone else. And they do that compliment. They, they give you that same compliment and do you that same favor. And there's no fucking soulmate. And he wasn't – you were with him for a month, a month and a half. You invested in him very heavily. You say you've been single for a while, probably why you invested in him so heavily. He came along and you were elated and you were full of hope. For this, And it's crushing that it ended so quickly. But you can't know after a month that he was the one. 
or the 0.64 that you were going to make into the one or the good enough that you were going to call soulmate as a compliment. You were still discovering things about him and he wasn't around very long. So you didn't discover, you weren't around each other long enough to figure out each other's faults, the things you didn't like about him, the shortcomings that you were willing to overlook, the prices of admission that you were willing to pay to be with him. You never got to that messy, gritty, dirty, compromise stage of the relationship. So all that you can see right now are your shattered hopes for this perfect relationship that didn't exist and wouldn't have existed if he had stuck around. And if he circles back to you in three months or six months time after he's healed from his past relationship, isn't going to exist going forward. If indeed you go forward with him. So here's what you do. Eat some ice cream, go to the gym, see a bunch of movies, hang out with your friends, wallow in your grief as you are wallowing, have a nice wallow and then knock it off. Give yourself a month to grieve this relationship that only lasted a month. And then get out there and do shit. Don't get out there and look for another man. Get out there and be in the world and exist in the world and move through a world that is full of men and women. And perhaps you'll meet somebody else, perhaps not, but you will be active and engaged and enjoying your life, whether you're with somebody else or not. And then see where you go. See what happens. Enjoy your life, single or partnered. That is the message that I'm constantly trying to give to everyone, whether they are single or partnered. Enjoy your life as an individual because you may be an individual again, a single individual again at some stage in your life. There are no guarantees. Pianos fall from the sky. And someone who woke up this morning married may go to bed this morning widowed. We all have to have lives for ourselves that are worth living and that we enjoy and that are rewarding whether we have a partner or not. And if you're not going to have a partner for now, have a life that's worth living do the things that give you pleasure. Be out there in the world. You'll meet somebody else or you won't, but you will be living a life that is rewarding and enjoyable. I'm sorry you're in so much pain. I ache for you. I'm sure lots of people out there listening ache for you. Lots of people out there listening have been where you are right now and are now with new loves or not but have gotten through this pain and are living lives that give them pleasure and bring them joy. You have to build that life for yourself, whether or not that guy, this guy is in your life or not. Even if he was still in your life, it would still be on you to build that life for yourself that brings you joy. Dan, my wife uh, just recently stepped outside our marriage and had sex with someone else. I knew that this was coming because for a long time, for many years, we've been married 16 years, or 11, together 16, and I knew that her sexual needs were greater than I was either able or willing to meet. My reaction to it, I'm trying to be open-minded, I didn't get angry at first, but what I would like to know is I would like to find a place with more information or as much advice on having an open relationship while married. I don't have the confidence to sleep with other women uh, at this point. I, I don't know if that's ever going to be a possibility for me. I mean, obviously, it's, it might be something interesting, but I just want to know how to get a handle on this and keep my own emotional baggage from causing me to destroy or step on her uh, well-being if we are going to continue to have this kind of relationship. 
I do view it as somewhat positive. Uh, she's getting what she wants, and it actually is kind of hot. I'm thinking about her being with other people, so, you know, there's that. Um, anyway, just any advice you could give me. I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Wow, you get a gold star. I think you are reacting to this news in a, a really mature and even-handed and thoughtful way. My advice for you would be to read Opening Up, a book about open relationships, including um, opening up a marital relationship by recent Lovecast guest Tristan Taramino. is an excellent book. You can also find a sex-positive, open relationship, positive therapist or counselor to have a few sessions with through ASECT which is the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, ASEC.org. That's their website. You can go there and search your area and find a therapist who isn't going to be a sex-negative, monogamy-obsessed nutbag who just sex-shames your wife and, I don't know, cuckold-shames you. Uh, a lot of people feel that when someone is cheated on that there is the proper response. There is the way they are supposed to react to that news. And if you fail to react with anger and hurt and threats of divorce or actually filing for divorce, you are letting down the side. You are undermining the importance and centrality of monogamy and the monogamous commitment. And so you are obligated to, you know, we tell people who've been cheated on, not just that they have a right to be angry, but they must be angry. But not everyone has that reaction. And sometimes people who don't have that reaction wonder what's wrong with them. And there's not always something wrong with you. It's not a sign that you're damaged or that there's a fatal flaw in your marriage if you don't care that your spouse sleeps with other people. Even if you found out in this way where it was not discussed in advance, where it was technically and officially cheating, you recognize that there is a disconnect in your marriage, that you have never been able or willing, that you added that as I think kind of telling, to meet her sexual needs. And eventually, I'm sure if we got her on the phone, Eventually in frustration and despair and after working at it for a very long time, which is almost usually the script, she went and found or stumbled over without actually looking for someone else and went for it. So what do you do going forward? You say you don't necessarily want to sleep with other women. You also say, very interestingly, that it turns you on the thought of her being with other men. And that could be a good thing. You know, sometimes in the wake of an affair, please watch Esther Perel's uh, recent TED Talk, Rethinking Infidelity. It's an amazing, uh, mind-blowing uh, <laughs> piece, blowing the minds of a lot of people who haven't thought about this stuff at the length that I've thought about it. Already been viewed more than two million times on YouTube. Go watch it. I think it'll help you. Sometimes an affair repairs a marriage. Sometimes an affair saves a marriage. And we never hear about those kinds of rescues. When an affair destroys a marriage, we all hear about it. When an affair helps the marriage, we rarely hear about it because usually the couple doesn't run around saying he cheated on me or she cheated on me and things are much better now because we opened up and we were brutally honest. And it just felt like at that moment that we found out there was nothing we couldn't say because we were staring into the abyss, right? It was going to be over anyway. So I just laid it all out on the table and that brutal honesty, that process of working through the news of an infidelity often restores a relationship, brings a couple closer together. Esther talks about it, uh, Ms. Perel, talks about it in her TED Talk. Watch the video. Go to YouTube right after you listen to the podcast today. You don't have to let this destroy your marriage. You don't have to be angry. 
you also don't have to fall for the sort of everything has to be, you know, the ice cream has to be equally divided for the children into two bowls. If one person in a marriage sleeps with other people, the other is not obligated to sleep with other people as well. If you are content to be monogamous while your wife is not monogamous and even that turns you on a little bit so there's something in it for you too, you don't have to sleep with other women if you don't want to. Some couples have an arrangement where one is allowed to sleep with other people and the other isn't allowed to sleep with other people because it turns the one who isn't allowed on to know that the one who is is sleeping with other people. So there's something in it for both of them, right? And if that – what can seem from the outside unfair but if you peel it away and really think about it, it is kind of fair because everyone is getting cranked up. Everyone's getting what they want and need and getting something out of this deal. It's legit. So – Keep talking to your wife. You're not doing this wrong. I think you're doing this right. And I think your relationship is a good candidate for perhaps an uneven kind of openness where your wife sleeps with other people and you can perhaps if you want to but you don't because you're not interested in sleeping with other people. Place to start, again, opening up. Tristan Termino's really terrific book on open relationships and a counselor, a few sessions with a counselor that you find through asect.org. If you need to build a website or think it's time to improve the one that you have, then I suggest you use Squarespace. They make it so easy to put together a truly lovely and well-functioning website quickly. Everything is drag and drop, so it's easy, and they have tons of templates to choose from so you can make your site your own. It's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. And you can afford it. It starts at $8 a month, and you get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SAVAGE to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Hi, Dan. My name's Kyle. I'm 27 years old, and I live in Seattle. I'm in an open relationship with the man of my dreams. But that being said, my boyfriend's really fucking hot, and has lots of opportunities to sleep around. And that's okay under the guidelines and everything that we have set up in our relationship. But I'm not okay with it. Uh, for the first time in my life, I found the man of my dreams and I don't want anybody else to have him. How do I cope with the fact that my super sexy 42-year-old boyfriend is getting a lot of tail? And I don't necessarily want to step outside the relationship to get tail. I'm getting everything I need from him. That also another piece of information. I've been out since I was like, oh, I don't know, 10. He just came out in his late 30s. So I guess sexually and by gay years, quote unquote, I'm much more experienced than he is. So I've kind of grand the gauntlet, so to speak. Paraphrasing Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is not the boyfriend you're looking for. You say he's the man of your dreams and then you say that it's an open relationship by what you suggest is mutual enthusiastic consent and then you say you are not okay with this. You are not happy in an open relationship that you do not want to share him with others. And so this is not the relationship you're looking for. This is not the man of your dreams. The man of your dreams would be very similar to this guy, perhaps in many ways, but 
not interested in having an open relationship. So you either accept that he is going to sleep with other people and reconcile yourself to that and incorporate that into your dream relationship or you end this relationship because it's set up now to make you jealous and miserable. Uh, You've agreed to something that isn't what you want in order to keep him, which is not always fatal, but often fatal. And I don't think you should do that. I think you guys perhaps should part as friends and he should continue to gain the experience that he lacks because he didn't come out to his late thirties. But you know, he may rack up as many sex partners in the next few years as you've had in your long out life and not be ready to settle down or be monogamous because he may not want monogamy. So even if he ran around for a year and got tons of experience, he's not then necessarily, I predict he absolutely is not then going to want a committed monogamous relationship with you or anyone else. So I think this is really, to use that hoary old term, a deal breaker. And you should regard it as one. What he wants and what you want are kind of in conflict, kind of mutually exclusive to be happy with him. You don't want to share. You want a monogamous, closed relationship. And to be happy, generally, and he'd like to be happy with you, he wants, requires an open relationship. One of you loses in that. One of you has to pay the price of admission. The thing about the price of admission, like you say, oh, here's this thing I don't like about my partner. kind of drives me crazy. I am willing to pay the price of admission. I'm willing to accept that thing to be with this person because otherwise they're so awesome. The, the other thing about that is once you pay the price mission, you shut up about it and you stop bitching about it and you try not to let it bother you. You try to – you have to roll with it. You have to say, I've accepted this. This is my – I own this. I take responsibility for this. I'm not going to be bothered by this because I paid the price of mission and I'm going to ride the ride. So if you can't not be bothered by him sleeping with other people, you shouldn't be with him. Getting your mailing and shipping done can seem like a no-win situation. Going to the post office takes up valuable time, and leasing a postage meter is expensive with multi-year commitments and lots of hidden fees. Luckily, there is a better way, Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your own computer and your own printer. You'll even get special postage discounts you can't find at the post office. Plus, Stamps.com is more powerful than a postage meter at just a fraction of the cost. You can save up to 80% compared to a postage meter, and you'll avoid those time-consuming trips to the post office. And right now, you can use my name, Savage, to get this special offer. A no-risk trial plus $110 bonus offer. This includes a digital scale and up to 55 bucks worth of free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Savage. That's Stamps.com. Click the mic and enter Savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old at-risk youth. I've been in a relationship with my current girlfriend for two years now, and I'm positive that she is the one I'm going to marry. But uh, I'm in a bit of a pickle. I want to have an affair, not just to like, not not to find someone new, but to experience what the affair feels like, that thrill, that rush. You know, I've always been a good boyfriend. I've always been a good guy, and I've never done that. And the women that I've dated have done that to their boyfriends, and I have friends that have done that to their girlfriends. 
but I haven't per- personally done it myself. So I was talking to my girlfriend about it, and she, of course, is against, you know, any kind of open relationship. But I just don't know what to do. I just want to, I just want to do it just to see what it's like. But I'm also scared to actually do it because I've never done it before. So I don't know what I should do. So I just move on and be excited, be happy with my girlfriend, or do I try and do it like the true affair style and have and have it done in secret? The rush. You mentioned that you are really aroused. I think aroused would be the right word to use by the thought of the rush of cheating on your girlfriend. That. The excitement of doing this thing, of doing something behind her back, of doing something you're not supposed to do, that that fascinates you, that arouses you, that turns you on. There are studies that show that some people have risk-taking personalities. They engage in risk-taking behaviors and there is strong correlation between risk-taking personalities and a desire to engage in risky behaviors and cheating because that's a very risky behavior and it's erotic, right? It's hot that risk-taking behavior. And some people really get off on the idea of getting away with something. It's not just the sex. It's not just the opportunity to have sex with somebody else, but the transgression of having sex with somebody else when you are not supposed to, that it's an affair, that it's cheating, that it's not permitted. You get credit for talking with your girlfriend openly about this impulse. You went to her and said, I sometimes, you know, I know friends who cheated, had affairs, and there's something about that that turns me on. And she's like, nope, not going to happen. Not interested. And my advice for you, now that you know this about yourself, right? This is something you know about yourself, that you were turned on by the thought of cheating. The thought of that kind of transgression is erotic to you. You have that kind of risk-taking personality, My advice to you would be not to marry someone or be with someone for the long term who is very invested in perfectly executed strict monogamous behavior over the multi-decade course of a long-term committed relationship because the chances that you will break that person's heart are pretty high and there are plenty of women out there who do not value perfectly executed strict lifelong monogamy over the multi-decade course of a relationship or are into – open relationships or DADT relationships where she will turn a blind eye if you have a discreet affair in exchange for you doing the same if she has a discreet affair, that you can find somebody that you're more compatible with when it comes to sex, desire, openness, closedness, transgression, cheating, whatever you want to call it. But hey, what if she is the one or the 0.67 that you're going to round the fuck up to the one? Is it worth leaving her just so that you could have an affair one day with a clean conscience because you're with somebody who has given you permission in advance or has affairs herself or it's an open relationship? That's your call to make. Is this price of admission, the price of admission that you are willing to pay, never getting to experience cheating, having an affair, fucking somebody else behind the back of your partner – Never getting to do that, if you could set that aside for her, if you could see yourself paying that price of admission to be with her and she's worth it, then pay the price of admission. Then you say, this is something that always turned me on and I will never do. And you will be one of the many, many millions, hundreds of millions of partnered people in the world who are turned on by the thought of cheating but who don't act on that thought because they have made monogamous commitments that they are endeavoring and struggling to honor. So you won't be alone in that. The world is full of people who have sexual fantasies 
strong, compelling, arousing sexual fantasies that by dint of circumstance or personal choice, they can never realize. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audiobooks are great to listen to when you're driving, when you're stuck in traffic, or when you're doing chores around the house. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service if you haven't already. One audiobook that Savage Lovecast listeners might want to consider is Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel, narrated by Esther Perel. You've heard me mention this book about 7,000 times. It's about time that you read it or listened to it, and Audible is going to help you listen to it for free if you're a Lovecast listener, so you can try out their service and hear this great book. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a straight 24-year-old female living in the Midwest, and I have a question about porn. As I said, I am straight. My only question comes from the fact that I pretty much exclusively watch girl-on-girl porn, lesbian porn, and... I'm not really sure why this is. I have never had a lesbian experience. I have never experimented at all physically with women. I'm not particularly interested, but I have attempted to watch straight porn, and that also doesn't interest me. So I'm wondering how normal this is and if there's any explanation for why it is that me, a very straight female, watches exclusively lesbian porn, and I enjoy it. We've talked about this uh, a bit on the Lovecast recently and not so recently. There are women out there who are straight, who have no desire to be with women, desire to be pussy, who like watching lesbian porn. And there was a Reddit subthread uh, created by a bunch of straight guys who were coming out about the fact, at least to each other and anonymously on Reddit, that they like to watch gay male porn. There's a lot of lesbians out there who like to watch gay male porn too, which is kind of crazy. And – you like what you like, what turns you on, turns you on. You shouldn't waste too much time stressing about it. But I have a theory and I just wanted to throw this out there, just another theory, about why lesbian porn turns uh, some women on. And I want to tie it to something that a lot of people have observed about straight porn, men and women having sex on the camera for almost entirely a straight male audience. And you would think that the dick – if you're making these videos, if you're creating this pornography for straight guys, the dick wouldn't be so prominently featured, right? But a lot of straight porn is all about the dick. It's all about the cum shots. It's all about worshiping the phallus. And the dick is really the star. You know, the female porn star is the star. They make a lot more money, blah, blah. But the dick is so central in porn created for straight guys. And what I think is going on, you know, straight guys are – living vicariously through that dick. They are projecting themselves into that dick. But straight guys are aroused by witnessing the arousal of that guy there that they wish they could be. But they're getting a cue from that dick about the attractiveness of this woman, about the hotness of the situation that goes beyond just vicarious living through that dick, right? I think that they are aroused by witnessing straight male arousal. And what I think may be happening for some straight ladies who really get off on lesbian porn is you are much likelier to see in lesbian porn made by and for lesbians, not that horrible lesbian porn made for straight guys. You are much likelier to see an actual aroused woman having 
an actual orgasm and less likely to see the sort of the dick is the main event and the dick is the main star and more likely to see a woman's pleasure put at the center of the action and more likely to see and live vicariously through the pleasure that these women are deriving from each other and from their bodies. So just like those straight guys out there watching straight porn that has a lot of dick at the very center of it or living vicariously through that dick, it may be that all you straight ladies out there who like lesbian porn, your pussies are living vicariously through their pussies and you are aroused by that arousal, by witnessing it, by experiencing it vicariously. Anyway, just a thought. Hi, Dan. This is in response to episode 463, where you gave advice to a woman whose uh, lesbian roommate came in, sat on her bed, and then touched her. I actually wanted to call you to address a phrase I've heard you use multiple times, and most recently in your advice to this woman, go postal, go postal on his ass. You might want to do this, and then if that doesn't work, go postal. Forgive me if you already know, but the phrase go postal refers to the Edmond Post Office shooting in 1986 in Oklahoma, which involved 14 murders and the shooter's own suicide. In light of the many mass shootings happening all over the country, I think that this phrase is extremely insensitive and completely trivializes the idea of mass murder. For you to suggest that a mass murder is an appropriate way to handle a roommate with poor social skills really sucks. Clearly you're not, but whenever the phrase is used, it completely trivializes true and real violence. Don't you think we have enough pundits and news organizations doing that already? Anyway, wouldn't mind a debate on this if you feel strongly about the phrase. I mean, maybe there's something I'm missing. And sorry for scrutinizing your language. I'm sure you get it all the time, but go postal, really? Anyway, thanks again for all that you do. I'm a huge fan of yours. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to episode 463, um, the woman whose partner was tickling her. Um, and this really had a big reaction with me. I hate being tickled. And the language that I always use is that it is someone else taking control of your own body's response in that moment. And it can be innocuous. It can be playful. It can be flirty. But if it gets too aggressive, what it literally is, is her partner making her have a physical reaction without her consent. And if that gets out of hand, it can be really hard and really damaging. Um, and so if she needs to use language like that, that it can get to be a violent thing. If it is not, if tickling is not consensual and playful, she really needs to put her foot down. Hi, Dan. Since you are a big pothead, I just thought you would like to know that your voice and your podcast and your books on Audible have gotten me through trimming about 50 pounds of weed this season, not too far from where you're at. You've literally made me LOL. You made me tear up a couple times, but we've been on the podcast bender for a few weeks now, and I have trimmed about 50 pounds of OG, strawberry headband, sour diesel, and Girl Scout cookies. So if any of that makes it your way, maybe it came from my hands. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, please give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Hump, my amateur porn film festival, is coming perhaps all over the face of a town near you. The Hump Tour is coming to Madison, Wisconsin, Bend, Oregon, Vancouver, British Columbia, Austin, Texas, Baltimore, Maryland, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 
Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Denver, Colorado all this fall. Go to humptour.com for information on the exact dates and ticketing information and, of course, information about how to submit a film to Hump, the world's biggest best amateur board. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Bailey J on Twitter at BaileyJTweets. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.